Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, Outlook for Airlines turns wintry after summery peak, United partners with Emirates after thaw in US-UAE relations, and Romania's blue air is left out in the cold. My name's Graham Dunn and joining me is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper. Hi Lewis. Hi Graham, how are you? Yes, not bad at all. We're um, ready to move here from uh, the summer season into the winter season and uh, things are getting colder and you know it, it, it's interesting seeing that change for airlines I guess it's been a pretty buoyant summer for the airline sector one way or the other hasn't it? It has yeah we've seen we've talked a lot about the the return of particularly Asia Pacific over the last few months which has been a, obviously aside from China um, and Japan to an extent but it's been a, a positive story and as you say there's been um, some decent financials coming out of that probably a few more to come when we um, look at results over the the current quarter so when, when they come in i think we're expecting to see some some profits there even from airlines where there's been huge challenges you know just this week we've seen um air new zealand talking about um the first half of their fiscal year recording a profit which when you think of where they've been certainly at the height of the pandemic is quite a big deal similarly from cafe pacific an airline that passenger services absolutely decimated but has seen strong cargo demand with passenger services come back again there is talk there of some profits but amid all this of course many airlines are are withdrawing or or keeping quiet on on what they see more than a a few months out particularly as we go into 2023 so there's a very marked change really in the kind of mood when you you switch from talking about what's going on in the northern hemisphere summer into what what we we think might be coming going into the winter and 2023 yes i think this summer was always going to be a bit unusual and it certainly has been unusual this unbelievable demand and the strength of demand which was always going to be a byproduct of two years of a, of a closed market and i think airlines have always been slightly cautious about what might come in the winter in terms of how that demand would work i mean you're still looking at you know, most airlines uh, I mean, obviously differs from market to market and the, the short haul and low cost operators generally have more capacity in our approaching or surpassing pre-pandemic levels. But, you know, the big network carriers are still largely shy of um, pre-crisis levels. So capacity wise, you've still got a bit of margin uh, and room to develop. So they can probably cope with demand levels, you know, even if there is some weakening off from that summer uh, levels of demand. But of course, the big <laughs> challenge is this very unusual um, economic conditions where we have a number of factors which are coming into play for airlines. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, as you say, on the, the capacity side of things, that there's probably been some moderation looking into the winter versus what airlines were saying a few weeks ago. But as you say, that's not necessarily the, the end of the world. I mean, we we know well, certainly um, for a lot of airlines, the winter period is not at a time when they expect to make their money anyway. So so to an extent, not having that capacity. And, and we've heard uh, Carsten Spool, we talked about, you know, saying that this lack of capacity will support higher yields, which will be positive. That may only take you so far, but certainly over the, the coming months, that situation may not be, you know, all bad. But yeah, it's, it's the economic side of things that, that the concern. A couple of weeks back, we had had a briefing from IATA. They were touching on on that as a topic. Um, at that point, they they were 
basically saying they still saw the traffic recovery and not moving from earlier forecasts. Um, so they, they didn't have big concerns over the impact on d- demand as such, even though they didn't acknowledge that it may happen to extend in certain markets, but it but it's not enough to kind of move the overall dial away from kind of a full recovery maybe in 2024. But, you know, th- there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, one thing that the uh, IATA chief economist, uh, Marie Owens Thompson, talked about was was the unusual situation where we're going into this, you know, what you know, more people are framing as kind of a, a global economic slowdown or even recession with low unemployment in many markets, which is quite unusual. So you know, her argument was that to a point that low unemployment will offset the impact of the kind of economic challenges that, that would affect demand. So yeah, if we were going to this with high unemployment and we were facing what might be coming over the next few months, um, I think concerns would be higher, but the, the, you know that all the indicators aren't bad. But you know, having said that, the, even in the last few days, we've seen some companies pointing out that their mood about the the economic outlook has, has darkened. So, and on the cargo side of things, we saw FedEx last week talking about you know uh, in terms of air cargo demand, noticing a marked change towards the end of their quarter that ended in August. You know, demand was dropping, and they had concerns over uh, yeah more concerns over the coming months as a result. But yeah, the the, the ultimate mood is is one of uncertainty i think and um yes a, a lot to play out particularly i guess the key indicators are where, where what what how we're feeling sort of in february march next year as we look to the the northern hemisphere summer season kicking in again and those you know energy prices we know that fuel costs are a big challenge for airlines they always are i asked themselves and airlines themselves have you know pointed out you know they have made money before in a high fuel price environment so mm-hmm. You know, those lessons from the past provide some positive feedback around that. But there are some nuances around how the high energy and high oil prices are specifically affecting the airline sector. Yeah, and we'll talk about the high crack spreads. That's essentially the difference in the price between crude oil and, and jet fuel. And it is extremely high at the moment. You know, and he, he says he can't remember it being uh, as high as it is during his um, long career as, a, as an airline CEO. So um, the spreads, he, he talks about it being about 17% on average in the decade up to 2019. But recently, it's been more around 50 to 60%. So yeah, what that means for airlines is essentially the the high cost of oil um, you know, would normally weigh on on finances a bit, but it's having a, an extra impact. The, the jet fuel is so much more expensive than, than than crude oil in relative terms. Why that is, I think, is um, reflects a common theme across economies: is that obviously during the the height of the crisis, uh, refineries weren't producing or didn't need to produce as much jet fuel, and and you know they're ramping up to meet demand. But as in so many areas of the economy, there's a struggle to keep up. So that's unhelpful. But as you say, the overriding message was that um, the industry has dealt with high fuel costs before and and come out the other side uh, looking quite strong. So that is an unusual one and um, is unhelpful. And it will be something to watch over the coming months, whether if that crack spread kind of gets smaller, then that'll be huge relief to, to airlines suddenly as they look into the most important months of 2023. And I think the, you know, one of the other aspects we, we've seen over the recent weeks has also perhaps been a bit of affirming of alternative plans or alternative network plans as to how airlines which are impacted by those markets which have been closed off for a variety of reasons so you know China which remains largely unopened to uh, international travel and Russia of course where geopolitical challenges look as bad as they as they ever had and you know we, we've started to see signs that that airlines are taking steps to, to counter this and deploy their capacity, perhaps on a longer term basis, to counter this. 
Yeah, it does feel like with all the um, the economic challenges, it's the geopolitical ones that certainly talk to some airline CEOs and kind of concern them more than anything else. And as you talk, when you talk about the fundamental changes that are resulting from the disruption we've seen over the past couple of years, as you say, certainly the situation in Russia, for example, is um, is having a big impact on some carriers, obviously within the Russia and Ukraine, it goes without saying, but um, we've seen thin air has to have, has had to have a fundamental rethink of its strategy, which used to be all about the the advantages it had from from being able to overfly Russia into Asia and being a gateway into Europe as a result. Um, so there's a big rethink going there, and and one that I think is is quite painful for the airline. And as you talked about as well in China, which again is a hangover from COVID, where it is still blocked off largely for international travel. You know, there's a lot of airlines in the region there that that rely on um, on those services for a, you know a large amount of their connectivity in normal time so you know some rethinks going on there you know we're talking about airlines outside china here in particular looking at different markets um you know india is an example that quite a lot often talk about where being involved in the airline industry for any amount of time you'll, you'll know that everyone talks about the huge potential in india and that it's not always realized certainly by the local airlines there so it's a massive market for other airlines to look into so yeah there's some shifting around of, of networks going on and in some cases these things might turn out to be um you know, long term, it's hard to see, as you say, with the situation in Russia, that Finnair will be getting back to its kind of short northern route to Asia anytime soon. Um, maybe a bit easier to see than maybe the situation in China could eventually relax a bit. We've seen signs in Hong Kong that they're moving towards you know, the removal of, of hotel quarantines anyway. One of the other aspects we've also seen some challenges with for, for airlines is in disruption again. And this is some familiar, some that is kind of more of a product of COVID. So, uh, you know, in, in recent weeks, we've seen both return of um, industrial action, French air traffic control strike causing all sorts of uh, cuts to the schedules. And that's something that airlines would have grown highly used to over the years. But also the, some of the challenges at uh, Amsterdam, Schiphol Airport, where they maybe had thought they were come to grips with the kind of the the staffing the security staffing challenges some of the many challenges we've seen in europe yet they've had to take further action in fact the chief executive is is stepping down they've announced cuts now until the end of october cutting it almost by a fifth of the number of uh, departures and they're talking about some restrictions or limits or cap in numbers being involved until the end, end of the year at least and it's a kind of reminder that those challenges that we've seen in this industry during the ramp up, they remain. And that labour challenges are, we have seen bits of industrial action, that's always part of the story. But that is going to be another sort of challenge for airlines. Yeah, it will be. And certainly with inflation in particular, of course, and the um, you know, the demands for you know salary increases to match that, to match you know the, the inevitable rise in the cost of living that comes with that. So Willie Walsh played down really the Back to that, that labour disruption in Europe so far, I think it's not unreasonable to say it's not new. Talking to Michael O'Leary a, a few weeks ago, that yeah, the sense there is that the airlines used to rolling with the punches when these things happen, whether they be at the airline or the airport. But yeah, that, that certainly, if it's ever going to be a, a, an extra burden on, on, on the industry, I think a period of high inflation, economic challenges, it certainly will be, um, particularly off the back of what we've been through the past couple of years. And as you say, the... Um, the operational disruption, yeah, there may be a sort of seasonal sort of relaxation of that pressure a bit on the industry. But, you know, we thought that maybe with Schiphol, but, but as you say, that hasn't proven the case yet. But, you know, there is a sense in some of the affected airports that things are getting better. But really, that's not going to be properly tested, I think, until we start ramping up again after after winter. And 
uh, if there's lots of up people in the job market to come, particularly the economic challenges um, as severe as they could be, you know, we who knows where where we'll be. It won't go away. And there, there's a degree of optimism that a lot of the the, the, the biggest players have addressed those issues to a point. Um, but also, you know, Ben Smith was saying not long ago that he thinks it's a, an issue that will continue into the sort of foreseeable future, really, to to an extent, because these are fundamental things in the economy. So that th- these things aren't going away. And you know, as you say, it, it's led to the resignation of Shipol's CEO recently. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that. I myself am travelling through Shipol in a couple of weeks. So if ever there was a reason to a live blog, maybe um, maybe I could do one then. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, so you'll be keeping an eye on uh, on disruption uh, at that point in airlines over this winter, and and you know a number of potential clouds on the horizon. But we'll see uh, exactly how that pans out during the winter. After the break, we'll have a quick chat with John Hemmerdinger about a couple of the big stories happening in the US. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not sign up for free to get the weekly airline business briefing delivered direct to your inbox every Thursday. You can register to get our weekly briefings together with any of Flight Global's other newsletters for free at flightglobal.com forward slash newsletter. Joining me now is Flight Global US Bureau Chief John Hemmerdinger. John, you've been on the road a fair bit these past couple of weeks, and uh, and you were in Washington last week for a, a pretty noteworthy event between United Airlines and Emirates. Yeah, thanks, Graham. That that's right. United and Emirates had a uh, a big sort of inaugural uh, press event at Washington Dulles Airport, and United has a hub there, and they announced a new partnership, which is pretty sweeping. I, I guess, <laughs> particularly because uh, the idea of of a U.S. major, one of the U.S. majors, and a Gulf carrier tying up would have seemed a bit weird a few years ago. Yes, it would. Not too long ago. It was just recently, maybe in the last uh, three years or so, that the U.S. government and the governments of some of the Middle East countries decided to sort of settle a, you could call it a trade dispute, but it involved allegations by the U.S. airlines that their competitors based in the Middle East had been unfairly subsidized and therefore that they were bringing unfair low-cost competition to the U.S. market. And I guess much has, has changed since then. And of course, it wasn't just United, you know, several carriers and and, and sort of basically the, the code shares that were in place with Gulf carriers, they were... Um... Yeah, absolutely. The, the U.S. airlines made a big fuss about this. The whole thing started in 2015 and the U.S. airlines went to the U.S. government and said, this just isn't fair. Uh, we're not able to compete on what they call level playing field. So they cut off their code share agreements with Emirates and Etihad, and also Qatar Airways. I'm not sure they all had code shares, mm-hmm. but there were some code shares dissolved. And the U.S. government, the U.S. airlines asked, this was American Delta and United, uh, pleaded with the U.S. government to do something, although the U.S. government really couldn't do anything because they have open skies air travel treaties. So the commercial agreements between the airlines totally dissolved. And at that press conference, or rather media event last week, Emirates President Tim Clark was there. And he aptly said that a few years ago, uh, everyone in that room would have been throwing tomatoes at him. But now they're shaking hands and tying up. Things have changed. 
And in fact, United, United, they're going to start flying to Dubai as well, aren't they? That's right. They're launching a flight between uh, it's Newark and Dubai in October. And the two airlines are really establishing a pretty uh, sweeping, large co-chair agreement. And it's going to involve United being able to sell flights not only on Emirates out of Dubai, but also on Fly Dubai out of Dubai. And Fly Dubai is a discount airline that has commercial ties with Emirates, although they are not in a joint venture or a joint business, but they work very closely together. So United gets those two partners out of Dubai. And in exchange, Emirates is going to be able to sell seats on United flights out of Houston and Newark and and elsewhere, San Francisco. And they're talking about potential agreements in Boston and, and some other cities. So it's really linking together two very large carriers. It comes following the pandemic and the CEOs of United, Scott Kirby and the president of Emirates are making the case that this is a massive expansion that that really follows a period of contraction. And so they're, they're making a big deal out of the international reach of their agreement. That was already interesting. And, and while you're in Washington, you you were at another, another event, as you were sort of yes. traveling around. Um, and probably the biggest story, I think, a biggest airline story across the US over over this year has obviously been the, the pursuit of Spirit Airlines and yes. looks, looks to have come out on top of, of that one. And um, you, you had a chance to speak to the bridesmaid, I, I guess, the um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Frontier Airlines and their chief executive, uh, Barry Biffle. That's right. I saw Barry at a... Uh, aviation event that was uh, hosted by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It was in D.C. and uh, Mr. Biffle spoke, uh, and then I chatted with him afterwards. And uh, so Frontier had tried to take over Spirit Airlines. They're both ultra low cost carriers in the U.S. and and uh, Spirit's a bigger airline, but Frontier decided it was going to take over Spirit, and the, and the deal made a lot of sense. They both operate A320s, and they're both ultra low cost. They charge for everything, and then some. But at the last moment, JetBlue came in and and they had a sort of an aggressive takeover offer. uh, And (laughs) Spirit said, no, no, we're going with Frontier. And then JetBlue upped their offer. And then Spirit said, no, no, we're going with Frontier. And JetBlue raised the stakes again. And then Spirit said, oh, we're going to go with JetBlue. So there was left Frontier Airlines. Now, that might seem like a terrible thing. Frontier loses uh, this huge growth opportunity. But Mr. Biffle... Frontier CEO, he says that it's actually not a bad thing, and he does pitch it as actually a good thing. And his reasoning is that JetBlue is a higher cost carrier and will make the assets of Spirit become the same. In other words, one U.S. ultra low cost carrier, Spirit Airlines, will disappear. That will leave Frontier and one other ultra low cost carrier, Allegiant Air, controlling the entire ultra low cost market in the U.S. So Spirit goes away, Frontier becomes, it has access to a much larger share of the pie. They are much more competitive cost-wise. And according to Mr. Biffle, they will be positioned like Southwest Airlines was in the 1980s, which is quite a statement. And we will see whether he's accurate about that, whether whether that comes to pass. But yeah, so good either way for Frontier, despite being left at the altar uh, by uh, the runaway groom pushing that metaphor i i began it fabulous work john thank you so much uh my pleasure thank you very much so there we go hearing from john on some of the developments in the u.s and lewis i think uh there is a bit of a theme of 
consolidation emerging there, isn't there? There is. It's taken a while to to really pick up pace, but I think we're we're starting to see now in Europe some interesting developments. I mean, having said that, the main things I think we're about to talk about involve two airlines where it's not new that, um, well, <laughs> with ETA maybe that you could argue it is new, but um, that's more of a technicality, I think. But yeah, it's not new that the, the respective flag carriers of Italy and um, Portugal are the subject of speculation around ownership. You're an expert on the <laughs> Italian markets. So I won't, I'll leave that to you, but just on, yeah, we know consortium involving Delta and Air France KLM entered into exclusive negotiations for a stake in ETA. But we've also seen over recent days some some rumours that TAP may be uh, sold off or certainly part of it. Um, it was renationalised in the pandemic. A uh, consortium involving David Neenemann owned it going into um, the COVID crisis. Um, and again, there's talk there that, like Bravita, Lufthansa and Air France KLM would be among the interested parties there. It would make a lot of sense. That wouldn't be new to Lufthansa, for example. I think they've previously shown interest there. And in this case, TAP is in um, Star Alliance. Um, so perhaps that Lufthansa might be on the front foot compared, obviously, with what's happened with the um, potential Sky Team tie-up we're seeing of ETA and uh, Delta, etc. So, as I say, not new themes that these smaller kind of secondary flag carriers in, in Europe it might be the subject of speculation, but it does feel like, you know, what coming out of the pandemic has given those um, and the changes that have happened during it have certainly given those things new momentum. Yes. And ITA, which which for many, <laughs> many months we were calling ITA before. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that they were calling ITA personally, but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it stood for something at one point, but now it's. Uh... <laughs> so you know again that that one's interesting there's a lot of there is a lot of history in terms of airlines that have been associated with italian flag carriers and Alitalia in particular air france klm and, and klm when i first started writing about this industry I, one of the first things i was covering was planned merger between klm and alitalia <laughs> that obviously came to nothing so 2000 i think you know ever since then air france and klm in one form or another have ended up back involved with the italian carrier and it's a really so Air France KLM, together with Delta, are involved in this uh, consortium. They've sort of made clear that funding part yeah, is coming from the equity partner, at least initially. And, you know, it is about having a strategic partner. Uh, Lufthansa have thrown their hat in the ring and have also been bidding. Uh, but the complications, you know, the, these things are never straightforward and, and not least because of elections in Italy, which make that mm-hmm. a bit more complicated. I think probably one of the other things that is worth flagging in terms of consolidation, not specifically around ETA, is that Lufthansa and uh, Air France KLM were both, you know, weren't in positions to invest in other airlines because of the government aid they, they took during COVID. Lufthansa's government has now totally sold its stake. Air France KLM are, are nearing that position as well. So, you know, I think that then opens the door to airlines potentially investing in different carriers. And I think TAP Portugal is interesting. It, it, you know, it's sort of, again, illustrate, you know, there is history of many te- attempts in the past to privatise that airlines and that airline. And as you say, they successfully sold some of that to the David Neiman consortium. But again, carrier finds itself in that position where it, Portugal is looking again at trying to find a fresh investor. And it will be interesting to see whether we're looking at strategic partners or whether more private equity companies get involved, what kind of investors emerge? 
As you said, Graham, in the case of, of ETA, the, the, um, the actual airline partners aren't involved in the equity side, the investment in the initial stages anyway. So, yeah, there's, there's an interesting we've seen in um, in recent months some investment from a you know, shipping specialist into Air France KLM. So while we talk about consolidation in the sector, there's, um, you know, it may not be uh, as hard and fast as, you know, one airline owning another outright. It may be happening in stages and as we maybe different players involved as well. So. Um, so, yeah, one to keep an eye on. But, you know, lots of regulatory hurdles to get over, even if, if the agreements do happen. And, um, you know, unlike the US market, I think those those regulatory hurdles with different um, national governments involved may um, prove more challenging. Um, not that there aren't challenges in the US, but certainly um, there's a lot to get through. And history shows that, so, you know, as you talked about, changing government, whatever, could um, make a, a, a big difference there. But, you know, and uh, just to say as well on the um, so the TAP, I think it's fair to say we wouldn't see IAG get involved in that, um, given their their already large presence in on the Iberian Peninsula. There, I think we, you know, with the the Air Europa deal that they're hoping to do, for example, I think if they then went to to try and take some stake in um, in Portugal's flag carrier, I think they'd be pushing their luck um, a bit too much. So yeah, um, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on, and it may be that eventually, you know, throughout COVID, a lot of people were predicting consolidation being a theme. It may be that. Um, we're starting to see, finally starting to see that movement. I would say at the same time that um, another theme a lot of people expected during COVID was airlines collapsing. And that, that's another one we haven't seen as much of. But some issues at Blue Air recently, Graham. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one because exactly as you say, you know, people expected airlines to find themselves in trouble during the crisis. I mean, what, what probably happened is they found themselves in so much <laughs> trouble that the, the stability that governments brought in has sort of strengthened them and they've sort of had some time to react but but to some extent you know this winter is probably the first more normal winter we're going to see you know and whether that be around a return to more regular slot slot rules whether that is around more regular government support rules and and what we've seen in Romania is Blue Air which has been a very interesting airline during the crisis that actually shown itself to be very nimble nimble and agile in exploiting some opportunities so you know this is a carrier that had flown primarily to secondary airports and suddenly saw some opportunities to start flying into Heathrow and Paris and, and provide more competition there but found themselves in at the start of September having to quite suddenly suspend flights uh, from Romanian airports after their accounts, bank accounts were frozen. This was all related to some debts that were owed relating to an environmental fund. But you, there was there, there were longer challenges and arguments that Blue Air had been having with the government, in particular the competition regulator. You know, initially they were looking at suspending flights for you know only only five days. They now suspended them through to. 10th of October, they're hoping, in amongst other things, that they were talking to investors, looking for fresh investors. So those talks keep going. And it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how it works out for Blue Air, but also I think more broadly, whether we are going to see, you know, more airlines finding that as a kind of return to, to more normal market conditions exists, whether whether more airlines find themselves in sort of financial trouble. And obviously we've we've got the work that SAS is having to go through now. It's in a formal restructuring is is another example of how though the market has returned to normal, conditions are still really difficult for airlines. Yeah, very much so. And you know, on the um the market consolidation theme as well, you know, it wasn't Blue Air's announcement was that the the initial suspension was barely out before, you know. <laughs> two of the, the big low-cost groups in Europe had um, put out 
press releases saying they were, you know, upping capacity into Romania and operating rescue flights, etc. And, you know, it's just a reflection again of how tough things can be for these sort of secondary carriers, as you say, in the, the environment where the, the, the support's falling away. The problem is if you get onto the back foot at a time like this, particularly in the, the low cost arena where we, you know, Ryanair and Wiz, for example, are, are adding a lot more capacity in versus um, pre-COVID. Um, you could very quickly find your market swamped by them and probably tough to come back. But yeah, it's not saying yeah, Blue Air clearly, as you say, um, had a lot going for it at points during during the crisis. And um, we'll see how that develops. But yeah, it is a tough market. And yeah, it's taking a little while for the um, pandemic impacts to play out, whether as we're talking about consolidation, where the you know, moves weren't really possible until government help had been paid off or as we're seeing here where uh, support falling away is kind of tips the balance and we're heading into winter which would normally be tough anyway but all that debt's still there and um and yeah there's no room for shame in the airline market so if you pause your operations then you can be sure that um someone else will jump in pretty quickly um, and if it's one of those big players it, it is going to be a tough to fight your way back but that's not new i guess no, uh, winter is always a difficult time for airlines. There's plenty for us to keep watching. That will do for this week. Thank you. This week, this, this pod at least. I'm not, I still don't really know how often we do the pod. <laughs> We're going to have to do uh, a weekly now. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that will do for um, for this pod. Thank you, uh, Lewis. Cheers, Graham. You can find links to uh, all the stories we've referenced in the podcast notes. And a reminder, you can keep up to date with all the latest stories from across the industry at flightglobal.com. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we'll see you again next time. <laughs> <laughs>